Okay, here we are. Are we going now? On the Outpost podcast. Wow, that is the quietest I've ever heard you. Hello and welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about inspired thinking. I'm Lacey and today we've got Mark and Teresa and Tom here. It's going to be a good day. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's been prescribed. (laughs) How is everybody today? Well, now I'm thinking about what Teresa just said. (laughs) What has been prescribed? What's in this drink? She's smiling. That's all we need to know. It's going to be a great day in about seven to ten minutes. (laughs) Just keep drinking that. Loose lip sink ships. (laughs) That's right. If you find yourself getting a little drowsy, that's normal. Just keep answering questions. It'll be fine. The walls are melting, but that's to be expected. (laughs) Okay, Teresa, you've got the community questions today. So why don't we just go right over and get those started? We posed the question hoping for some board game specific questions mm-hmm. for community questions today. So we've got a couple of those we're excited to answer. Bert Folks is the first one to kick it off. He's uh, asking, do you find the world of game creators to be more helpful and cooperative or more cutthroat and competitive? Mm, that's an interesting question. So from Mark and Tom, from your perspective, you've been able to create relationships with other designers. Has it been cutthroat? Has it been cooperative? A little bit of both? Well, I will tell you that I reached out for a lot of help when I first started, and I found them to be very helpful and cooperative to start. Like like the ones that I've connected with, a lot of the influencers are very selfless and very grateful for that. And we try to reciprocate that whenever we can. But I think there are a few cutthroat ones out there. But for the most part, I found this community to be pretty tight and everybody kind of wants everybody else to be successful. That's been my experience. Yeah, mine too. The creator community, at least, the designers and the artists and the the people making games are all very warm and supportive of each other and are trying to foster health of the community and build each other up. When you get to the more businessy side of it, some of the logistics and fulfillment and distribution and retail and some of that can get a little more, you know, there's a lot more money and math and competition involved there. So that's where it gets more hairy. But even still, compared to most industries, people are on the whole much more supportive of each other, even in that stuff, than in most industries. Like you can, you know, cold call, reach out to just about anyone in this industry and be like, hey, we're trying to figure out how to do this. How did you do it? And you will get a long, thoughtful response from most people. Are there any groups or people specifically that you want to reference that you've, you know, learned a lot from and who were very cooperative? on your journey thus far? There are a lot. Yeah. That and, and I could make a long list. Names. I will tell you the first two that really influenced me, the ones I reached out to, Jamie Stegmeyer, James Hudson, I didn't know anything. And, uh, you know, it started out, I think there was a lot of learning for me and responding to criticisms and different things and things that we could do better. And I reached out to them specifically. They were very open, you know, sharing ideas and resources, you know, that they directed me to and stuff like that. So those two in, in particular. Since then, though, like the board game geek community is huge. You know, Aldi and his team are amazing. And Noah at Game Trace has always been really supportive and has helped make... Just, I, I could go on and on. There's probably 50. Yeah, the person who's probably that jumps to my mind is Vince from Lucky Duck Games. Mm. He... 
understands some of the business side of things way more than I ever will and is very, very, very gracious to answer questions and help and support. And he has quickly turned that company into a licensing juggernaut. Like he understands the international market and how to penetrate all that stuff and navigate those waters. And whether it's smart to at all, he has a firm grip on that and has been very, very helpful in talking to me about those things. You can tell when someone's invested in the community and when they're trying to make more money, if they look at what they're doing more as an economic conduit and less like a community thing, or they don't invest back into the community, mm-hmm. that very proportionally aligns with how helpful they've been and how much they value their own time investing in someone else versus I think I could probably avoid that and make more money. Well, you mentioned uh, Jamie Stegmeyer, and I know just from being a noob to the industry, his blog has been helpful in me understanding where he's gone with Kickstarters Mm -hmm. and how I can wrap my brain around what happens, why it happens, and what things he's encountered. You know, I feel like that's been very helpful for me just as an outsider looking in. Mm -hmm. All right, what else we got from the community? Ryan Smith, I now have my sacred concept. Now what? How do I begin? <laughs> that was really weird. The Can voice. I read that? Yeah. Try, try it again. Try it again. Can we have Teresa part. read it this time? I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> She'll show up sometime. I have my sacred concept. Now what? How do I begin? Do you see it as more of a blank canvas awaiting paint or a slab of marble hiding something inside? Yeah. If I were to respond, I would say it's both. And the analogy that was shared with me years ago about the differences in painting you're adding content continuously until you get the result that you want. But in sculpture, you are removing extraneous things to reveal what is already inside. I am drawn to the second concept more personally, because I think if there isn't something inside that's calling to you, then you could spend a lot of time throwing paint on the canvas and not really have an intention or a passion behind it that you're trying to unlock. However, I think there are aspects of both. I think you should probably lean one way or the other to start and then go from there wherever your heart kind of takes you. I would ignore the second part of your question and answer what I think the heart of it is, which is I would start interacting with your idea as quickly as you can. Something that I've learned about myself and that I'm still learning about myself is that you can make notes about an idea or scribble down thoughts about an idea for your entire life. And until you actually sit down and start doing the thing, like that's big step number one. Big step number two is finishing. But big step number one is move on from the point where you're like dreaming in a notebook and actually start making something, you know? So if you're talking about a game, make something that you can physically interact with on the table and move to that next step. This is something I've learned a lot with my writing. I'm developing a lot of story ideas for books and short stories and things like that. And the other day I was going through and cleaning out some stuff in my basement and I found a bunch of these files of old notes from old stories and old ideas from Mm. college and years past. And what was occurring to me is there is an incredible amount of work in some of those folders and those files. And what I realized is I have been doing this my entire life. 
just dreaming about a story and making notes about a story and conceptualizing a story. And the trick is to just force yourself past that stage before you think you're ready and actually sit down and start writing the story, sit down and start making the game and get out of the notebook. Yeah, discipline is necessary. You can let your dreams die very very easily. It's like a plant in your house. If you don't water it regularly, it will die. And I think it just takes a small step. One of the things I started doing early on was I just set specific times, maybe just on Saturday morning for my first hour from seven to eight. I'm just going to work on this and nothing else. And I just incrementally move forward every time. And what you find is after seven weeks. Look at the amazing progress that you had just because you carved out that little hour each week. If you find that to be a chore, you're probably not doing the right thing, right? Like your passion is not there. If moving this forward is difficult, I think what you want to find is something, and maybe this is above your sacred concept. Maybe this is the passion behind it, but if you can't help but do it, if you find that you would rather do this than something else, I would start with that thing, and then at some point later, you will still need that discipline to move you forward because there are parts of it that you won't like to do. But like Tom said, you have to do the heavy lift to get it out of the dreaming and into the doing. Well, would that be more along the concept of, like, you know the concept behind the book, Atomic Habits? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, do you want to be a person who rides their bike every day. And so the one day you don't ride your bike, now you failed. Or do you want to be the person who's focused on being healthy? Do you want to be the person who creates? Or do you want to be the person who just gets through this thing and does it every day? Like, I feel like, is there a nuance there that you can see that you would match with your thoughts? Well, you build habits for a goal, right? Like, so to use your example, like I, I'm in a really good spot right now with building habits around getting on my Peloton and drinking my water and those types of things. It's Proud not, of you. You're doing great. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. I, I actually am doing great. I think my goal is not to sit on that Peloton and enjoy it, right? My goal is to improve my state of health and to feel better and have more energy and do more with my life and improve my situation. And I know that those things are necessary to do that. So I do build micro habits, right? and make micro adjustments to my habits. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah. And thanks for fleshing out my own head. That's a small (laughs) feat. I do have one more thought I want to add to this. Liz Gilbert, I talk about sometimes, she wrote Big Magic. And in that book, she talks about ideas like they are living things outside of you, different than you, that you engage with and interact with to bring something into existence. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that, makes me feel inspired on how I can interact with the ideas that I have. I have specific ideas of things that I'd like to bring to life, but do I actually respect them as individual things outside of myself, right? Most of the time I end up being a little bit more self-centered, like this is something that I could do if I have time or if I feel passionate about. But if I could consider the idea that keeps nagging at me as its own individual thing that deserves respect and attention and is asking me for Mm -hmm. respect and attention, I think that might lead me to be a little bit more dedicated to bringing it to fruition. If I can think of it as something different than just something that's inside me, but that is using me as a conduit. Right. You know, I know Tori Amos writes a lot about that. Like she'll have songs and she views them each as different, typically female, 
different women that interact with her and they don't let up until she has lyrics and melody and it yes. all pounded out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think to really do that, you need to reach the point where you let it kind of take on a life of its own, mm-hmm. which means physically doing the thing, mm-hmm. sitting yes. down and writing, building a prototype. As long as you're just sitting there dreaming in a notebook, you have complete control over it and you haven't given it oxygen or room to take on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you start making the thing, as soon as you start writing, the ideas come differently. And as soon as you start building the prototype, you realize that this is going to become something a little bit different than what you've been conceptualizing for years. Mm -hmm. And once you let it run, so to speak, and show it that respect, then it will start coming alive in a way that it won't when it's just something you're conceptualizing forever in your own mind. Mm Mm-hmm. You can also take the burden off of yourself for being the creator and put yourself in the recipient's shoes five years from now or sometime in the future. If you were going to receive this and it's been created by somebody else, what would the ultimate version of it look like for you? Don't worry about what anybody else thinks, what your friends or what an audience would think. Only you, right? Like if this was perfect for me and somebody were to design this and then present it to me for my use. What is the ultimate version of that? And what you might find is you have to go through 50 iterations in your head of what that could look like. How could that manifest itself? And then you have a map to create with. That's cool. Neil Gaiman talks about how he listens to his characters. Mm -hmm. So he'll have like an outline of where he wants to go and he'll be writing and then he'll reach a point where a character is supposed to do a thing. And then he realizes that that character, the voice in his head of that character is just kind of not naturally doing the thing that he thought that they were going to do. And he has to stop and rethink like, yeah, I have made this character. that's you know, not doing the thing that I thought it was going to do. Do I have to change my outline? Do I have to change the character? But at that point, the thing has kind of taken on a life of its own. So it takes um, listening. Yeah, it takes mm-hmm. listening. All right, Teresa, what's the last one there? All right, last one. Daniel, he says it's not a walk in the park. There's a lot of good information on the challenges of board game design. How much of a process is it and how much dedication it takes? I get it. Those things are very important aspects to cover. And it's by no means a get rich quick scheme. But I'd like to hear the joys of game design. What are some of the most rewarding parts of the actual design of the game? Being part of the board game industry, were there any parts of the whole process that were unexpectedly enjoyable? I love this question, and I love the way that Daniel asked it. Me too. Because he basically said, in a diplomatic way, like, blah, 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 blah. It's really hard. You guys are humble. You know, none of this is easy. (laughs) Whatever. Thank you. That's how you always answer things. But (laughs) why don't you talk about some other stuff, like... What do you love about it? What has been wonderful for you about it? Like, what is so great about getting to do this? How has it brought joy into your life? Celebrate it a little bit. I gravitated to this question right away. You and I both in the comments Because immediately it was obvious that he listens to our show. And this was a direct response to some of the sort of routines we've fallen into with our answers. Yes. Which I, I liked a lot. I'm curious what Mark's opening thoughts are on the joys of of this. The joys. We're not talking about anything but the joys. I won't let you talk about anything but the good. I get up every day and I love what I do. And part of it is because I've put myself in a position because of all the things that we talk about a lot about how hard things are and how disciplined we are and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's giving. Like you're making something that other people get to benefit from. And 
it's hard to put into words how rewarding it is for somebody else to enjoy an experience that you've designed or you've created or you've taken a part in like the things that we do here, like the games that we make and the stories that we tell. I also think that there's a tremendous joy in making something new that nobody else has made and you're not riding anybody else's shoulders or doing your version of something. Like when you bring something new into the world, the work part of it pays off. So I mean, the the harder that you work and the more sweat you put into it, just like everything else in life, gives you a deep self-satisfaction. But then when you gift it to somebody else, and not everybody enjoys you know, vindication for one, but those who do, and they talk about aspects of it that they love, that's super rewarding, right? And it's not because it has no reflection even necessarily on us. You know that they're having fun on their table with their friends and they're having a good time instead of whatever else they could be complaining or moaning or, you know, things that they're thinking about that they could be doing. They're actually having fun and they're enjoying and they're doing something, I don't know, rewarding. I don't know that there's a greater thing that you can do with your work than create purpose behind it to serve other people. Something I thought of when you were talking there is it's amazing to see some of the cross-generational stuff that happens, Mm, you know, seeing people enjoying something that we've made with their friends and their kids and their parents and their grandparents. And I think about some of the memories I have as a child of things that we did as a family with kids and parents and grandparents and like how foundational and important that is to me growing up and how strong those memories are for me. And to think that some of the things that we're making play that same role in people's lives, it's very difficult to put words to how rewarding that is for me personally. What's a joy about the board game industry. If that's what we're talking about, I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. And traditionally, I have always done that with the written word. And what's been really exciting about engaging with the board game industry is it lets me do that in a different way. There's a visual aspect to the board game industry where normally... Material. Yeah. Physical. And normally when you're telling a story, you don't have any control over what someone pictures in their own mind. You have more control over what they're feeling because you get to describe people's thoughts and their emotions a little more or put dialogue in there that does that. But in a game, you control their emotions less, but you get to control a lot more what they're visualizing and the way that they're perceiving the world building. And so it's a different approach to building worlds and telling stories that gets to flex different muscles. And I get to see the things that I'm dreaming up, not just in my own mind, but in my eyes and other people do too. And that's really satisfying. It's a different experience than writing stories, which has been really fun. I'll speak to my side. You know, I think what I do in most of my life is host conversation. And so, you know, I host this podcast and another podcast and do webinars and and teach and whatnot. And what I love about this community and working in the board game industry is people who are passionate about a game, something that's fun, that they choose to play, being able to connect to a creator and ask questions and learn more and dive deeper into the world. And you can see how much they love what they are playing. They can see how much they love the worlds that are being built. And so being able to be in between that conversation 
of connecting a creator with a consumer and a community member is super, super rewarding. There's not a lot of other industries, at least that I am able to touch, where there's so much passion flowing from both sides and this Mm co-creation kind of happening between both sides and just being a part of that, I draw energy from. I was going to say that what I get a kick out of is when I watch vindication break through the fourth wall when somebody creates Mm. something out of you know one of the ips it's like that is fun they have taken it and they have done something greater than it i just think that's like birthday cake yeah yeah. (laughs) um you know but from a community standpoint i get to kind of see how their cat sits in the box and watches and play i'm all about the feline supervisor for a board (laughs) game like that's exactly how i feel like you know so to see how it enters into their world that is fascinating for me. Well, those were fabulous questions. Really, really good from the community. I love getting to hear answers for those. I'm going to move us now into our main topic for the day, which is the world of vindication. Board game episode. Woo! You made so, it, people. <laughs> so there is a lot of content out online already about the passion behind the game and how we came up with it in the sacred concept and whatnot. So I want to focus a little bit about where the world of vindication is right now and then put most of the rest of the conversational focus on where it might be going in the future, okay? So I'm going to start with a couple of questions that came from the community. Nick Dixon had a couple of interesting questions here. So let's start with, I'd love to see more about why the island is awakening due to your arrival and how you're tied to what's going on. So There's one quick clarifying question I have in regards to lore. Is the island awakening because of you or did you show up and the island is awakening without a connection to you? Are those things connected? Well, what a great question. Nick Nick had a couple other great questions that are sort of lore conceptual. Like why are monsters only coming from the gaping maw so far Mm -hmm. and things of this nature. And, One of the fun things about Vindication from our perspective and something that we're going to continue to hold, have hold true about the world of Vindication is we like leaving this particular world open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And as Vindication grows and expands, our objective is going to be adding new layers to the mystery and giving you more things to chew on and come up with your own theories and ideas and meanings. Interesting. And imprint yourself more on the world of Vindication. This will not be a property so far where we come out and say, this is exactly the The story story that's going on. And for one, because that's part of the idea behind the game is to give people a platform for doing that. But even if that wasn't true, you know, this is something that has existed in some people's lives for three, four years now. And it would be disrespectful at this point to come out and say, these stories that you've built in your mind and in your heart about what's happening in this world. False. It's actually (laughs) midichlorians. And, And, you know, so vindication is going to be what you want it to be and what you make it. So dream those answers and lean into them and make your own stories in your head. Now, (laughs) on top of that, I'm going to tell you that Chronicles is about to hit. And what you're going to find with Chronicles is 
a lot more lore and a lot more clues and mysteries for you to chew on that are not going to give you specific clear answers. Exactly like Tom said, they are going to probably create more questions and ignite your imagination in more interesting ways. Or here's a clear answer that unfortunately or fortunately then leads to five new questions. Mm. It's exactly. Wrinkle City. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> That's the next game. Well, welcome City. to Expansion 4, Wrinkle City. <laughs> yeah, it has more cards in it than the base game of Vindication does, <laughs> and they are covered with stories and results of making choices, and you get to piece together your journey based on that every time you play, so... So cool answers. So we reflect them back and say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Right. But we'll continue adding layers and layers of mystery. We're, I mean, we're going to inc- keep increasing the depth of the world and give you more to chew on. Mm-hmm. But we aren't going to take away <laughs> that agency. Yeah. So yeah. like Vindication Bubblegum to chew on? Is that? So, why not? Okay. Let's do you. it. <laughs> I'm all about that. I mean, you guys have all looked at me. I had to say something. <laughs> You're like, yep, bubble tape. Yep. Let's do this. These are things. Okay. So, you know, we've done three Kickstarters successfully now, and there's been a lot of add-ons and expansions and whatnot that has come. Terrence wants to know, when does creating new content for an existing game go too far and become too much to learn? There's some more depth to his question there, but let's start with that. When does it become too much? I think you get to control the nozzle on the hose. Okay, so how much is too much Star Wars, right? There's more Star Wars than you could possibly expose yourself to in this world, in my opinion. And if you're going to introduce somebody who's, oh, I've never, I've heard Star Wars, I've never watched it, right? Like you always run into that person every once in a while. There's so much Star Wars. Where do you start, right? Probably with the core movies, from 77 to 83, right? But maybe not. Maybe you start him with The Mandalorian. Maybe you start him with, you know, Disney. But don't start with Rogue One, I don't think. No, but you could start with Disney it's Lego. My, that's my opinion. Disney Please Lego read Star Wars if you want to. Teresa's blog post on this subject. <laughs> I'm so grateful you referenced that. I'm so, <laughs> so grateful. It's true. So, I mean, if you look at Vindication, at this point, it's not playable with all of the content at one time, right? That's a wonderful thing. That gives you replayability. That gives you the opportunity to have a different experience time after time after time. It means it retains its value on your shelf for years, right? This is the way we're looking at it. You get to decide that. But is there really too much cheesecake in the world? No, because tomorrow I'm going to want more cheesecake. I feel like like this reference comes up a lot. Cheesecake. (laughs) He does. He uses that example a lot. It's just variations on a theme with cheesecake. I don't eat cheesecake anymore, so I have to. Now, if I brought cheesecake, would you eat it? Yeah. You should just bring it and leave it and see what happens. He he would take two bites. Like a trail camera, like we're watching a raccoon come and pillage it. It's a giant cheesecake trap. (laughs) Yeah, just snap. (laughs) Come in, Mark's laying on the ground. He's pinned to the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa, how'd you get that giant log to suspend from the ceiling like that? (laughs) He's just crushed and dead. Oh, he went for it. So what's your opinion on that, Tom? What's I agree much? with Mark. I mean, I think right now, like, if you were to sit down on your first day of playing Vindication and say, okay, I shall absorb all of this, it would be too much. It would absolutely be too much. 
but I mean, Mark's Star Wars reference is perfect or Marvel. You know how much Marvel is too much? Well, if you're brand new to Marvel, 38 movies is way too much and TV shows and 50 comics years of comic books. And, 60s, yeah. Yeah. But if you've been following it closely all along and it's your thing and you absolutely love it, the next thing is desperately wanted. It depends on who you are and how you're approaching it. And I think that's part of our job as consumers of these things is recognizing we don't have to do all of it right now the second we engage with it. You can just step through the front door and enjoy what's in that room. And is that there, metaphor is going to get away from me. <laughs> is there a breaking point, right? Like if we said, okay, we're announcing now a subscription box to Vindication where you get a comic book and a keychain and a promo pack and a stuffed animal every month for $50. Like, yeah, that's too much. Well, right? and I do have board games, if we're keeping this on board games, where, you know, by expansion X, I was kind of out, you know, it's like, this is getting too complex. This is just, I can't handle this. I think part of how Vindication handles that wisely is saying, well, you don't use it all at once. You're not just piling more and more and more and more on. We're introducing modular alternative content for the most part, and you don't engage with everything at the exact same time. So you're engaging with it in a slightly different way. In the same way, you don't watch 37 Marvel movies on 37 screens at once. Right. You watch right. them one at a time. His point is valid. Like You can over-complexitize a system to where it's unapproachable, and we are sensitive to that and trying very hard to toe that line carefully. If it doesn't add value, we're, we're, we're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like If we don't feel like this is valuable then we shouldn't be doing it. We feel good about where we're at with vindication. And will there be more vindication? Yes, there will be. We're not going to barrage people with it. All right. So another question that came that has to do with the world of vindication now is about community house rules. So they're wondering more about community house rules. What are some of the favorites that have come out that we know about now? There were a couple that came up in the Facebook thread when we talked about this. Spencer Dixon said that he and his wife don't allow identical locations to be next to each other. Okay. So if they're drawing locations from the bag and they're about to place an inn next to an inn, they just draw a different one. That's cool. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think in the Villages and Hamlets module, you can predetermine kind mm -hmm. of some of that stuff and prevent those situations that actually kind of leans into that. Tobin does the same thing with the journey cards. So... If they draw journey cards where they're going to start the game right next to each other, they'll redraw so that they're kind of across the map from each other and they, you know, reveal the island more quickly. Mm -hmm. The one we hear the most is people playing the game to two end game triggers instead of one so that the game goes a little bit longer and you kind of have a better idea that the end game is coming. Like, okay, we've reached one. So now we're sort of in the closing sprint. And that's kind of, you know, house rules are very much in the heart of this game. Like it's a modular game. It is meant to be played the way that you want it to be played. And that is built into the core of what it is. And so we love these house rules and we think go for it. You're not breaking the game or insulting the game or doing anything that goes against the grain of what we want from the game. I think house rules is an interesting discussion because it's funny. Some people will absolutely 100% refuse to play with house rules whatsoever because of, you know, whatever hardcore respect for the designer 
or something in their mind where they absolutely must hold to the rules and that is the correct way to do it, whether it's broken or not. And then on the other side of that, there's people who house rule way too quickly and don't show any respect to the designer (laughs) and just assume that something is broken because of an experience they had in their first two plays. And it is an interesting discussion, maybe for a different time, on where is probably the most healthy place to land on that spectrum. But ultimately, and this is my wishy-washy answer, you know, it that depends on the person and it depends on what they're trying to do with their games and their experience. It's your experience, it's your stuff on your table in your house. Do what's going to be the most fun for you. When you go from hundreds of play tests to tens of thousands of actual plays, some brilliant strategies come out with house rules. And, you know, I ideally in the future we'd like to have we're working on an app and we're working on some stuff that we could theoretically build a library of people's house rules that we would celebrate and let people play. I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. There's some real cool insights there that come from people's unique experiences. So looking forward into the future of Vindication, Nick Dixon wanted to know, would we consider an RPG or a deck builder in the Vindication world? Are any of those in current plans? Do you want to grab that one or should I grab that one or grab it grab it (laughs) we haven't closed the door on anything you know an RPG is something that we are certainly interested in and if we got really passionate about that or there was an obvious sign that the community was exceptionally passionate about that that's definitely something that we'd be willing to explore other games in the vindication world are definitely something that we're looking at you know I at one point did a bunch of work on a vindication card game that I have in a drawer somewhere that I think would be interesting as a way of messing around with some of the concepts and ideas behind vindication, but with different mechanics and in a smaller form. But none of these things are on the immediate timeline of projects that we're pursuing. Do you have any expanding thoughts on that i want to do all of them there you go i want i want all of those things here's an idea Um, mark if we were going to do a vindication rpg we just decided next week we've decided to do this would you rather build it within an existing system like 5e DD stuff or would you want to make your entirely own system from scratch okay from scratch always that yeah i'm always going to give you that answer probably same and so what that does is it puts a huge burden on us to innovate and the timeline goes longer and the resources go longer and we can't, there's just only so much bandwidth that we have. Right. So that's kind of our constant question is what's next. And do we want that to be next or do we need to push that off? I know we had a project like a year ago that we were going to work on the dice project. Mm-hmm. That's a keyword. And we're like, no, that's not as hot as some of these other cool things we're doing. So we just kind of started that project and even talked to manufacturers and stuff. And then at some point we're like, Nah, <laughs> that, that just stalled at sixty percent and yeah. just sitting on. behind us for a while. Cut our losses, yeah, yeah. And, and we may come back to it as it relates to specifically the question RPGs, deck builders. I don't know that that we that we view our worlds that way. Like when we're creating, we don't come out and say this is going to be a deck builder. Like I'm going to build a deck builder. I haven't really looked at it that way. Like we're working on a project right now. Not too away from now, but the one that's coming up, Tom, this is a new type of a project for us. We haven't done one kind of like it. And I don't think there was a roadmap for it. It was just kind of like, what if this? And that's kind of where we start. 
just coming from the outside watching you guys, when you guys were working on Unsettled, I think it was Unsettled, there was a word that popped up in how we were building the game. And as we were getting ready to send all the files, it was this realization that that word fits because it's been used elsewhere. So now we need to scrap it and grab a whole new word to describe the same process. And you're blanking out like you're trying to grab what that word was. And I don't know if I can help you with that. (laughs) Is any of this ringing true? What I hear you saying is we always want to forge into new territory. Yeah, you will always reinvent the wheel. Okay, let me be a different, better wheel for you guys. Yeah, what we don't want to do is reinvent a better mousetrap every time. Because then when Mark gets trapped from the cheesecake, it won't be be his own nebula design. design. I should have seen that coming. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna cut you off anyway, because one thing that this brings up to me is they just went through on Dice Tower and did the top hundred games of all time. And Tom Vassell put Vindication as number 10 of all time. And one of the quotes that I pulled from that video is Tom Vassell saying, it feels different than most other games for me. And so when I hear you say from scratch every time, this is the feeling that you're trying to elicit. And that's why it ends up being top 10 of all time, because it's not the same thing done um, with a spin. is a mindset that in the board game design community, that the process of board game design is iterating and it is a respected approach to designing board games that's held by most board game designers if you talk to them if you talk to most veteran board game designers and say hey i'm trying to break into the, you know the board game design world what is your advice almost all of them for some reason will say take a bunch of mechanics that you like and combine them in different ways or think about how to make them slightly better or how would you evolve them or use them in a different context or with a different theme or how could you take this mechanic and this mechanic which have never been combined and what would happen if you put them together? And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. There are obviously many incredible games in the world and most of them stem from that mindset. So it's not like that is something beneath us (laughs) that these pedestrians, you know, but there's just something about that that does not open itself up to the possibility of doing something really unique. And it's not that our games don't end up eventually having elements of things that have come before because we've played hundreds of games like it's they're in us. And some things just make sense and will naturally work their way in. But if you don't start out the process from scratch you don't even give yourself the chance Mm. of doing something completely new Teresa, you have your hand up i do thanks for (laughs) calling on me no would you say it's because you guys are coming at it from a completely not left field but left field you know you're not saying we're going to design a game that is like this game had a baby with this game (laughs) you're coming at it from the here is to take it all the way back, the sacred concept and how do we reapproach it from this whole new angle? We're creating experiences, right? So to follow up with what Tom was saying, it's okay to say people for years have been trying to get this type of experience that scratches this itch for these people and, they, and none of the games have really quite found it, right? What you do is you put yourself in a box for how to best solve that problem and I think 
now you are trying to solve a problem, which is much different than what do we want people to feel and experience? And then you take everything off of the canvas and you start over. What that does is it opens the box, right? You're out of the box now. It is much more work. It is not riding the shoulders of any other IP or any other mechanism or anything like that. It gives you the opportunity to fail a lot more, but you're trying things that you're learning and growing and adapting and evolving so much faster than you would had you been trying to solve a problem where all that stuff was already done for you and all you're doing is trying to tweak. That's not satisfying for me personally. What I want to do, I will do the harder work and it is harder but also more enjoyable work of trying to craft an experience with the goal is an experience. Like how do we get people to feel this? Like, why would they want to do this? Why would I want to do this is where you end up. Mm. If I'm honest, like if you ever asked a question about what they want, you're asking the wrong question. Okay. What do I really want? And so Tom and I, when we're designing the conversation is what do we want because I don't care what they want. Because or they we, is one specific person that we have in my, like our, the person that this is the dream game for. Yeah. I hear you. A lot of things I hear you say back and forth is like, well, that won't be fun. That's not going to be fun for them. That's not going to be fun. You know, you're asking that question to figure out exactly what experience you're trying. And to what create. we're really saying is that's not fun for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we also know that if we make the game that we love, somebody out there is going to like it too. Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't do that, you become a tool for someone yeah, else. Yeah, you become a tool, a just really big tool. And you don't know. Nobody wants to be a tool. <laughs> no. Let's be real. And I know. if you're a tool, stop. I can't wait just to cut out that one sound bite. <laughs> Social media content. I've lost all my Check. flow. <laughs> okay. All right. So there are a couple other questions that we aren't going to be able to get to in this episode, but we will bring back around as community questions or something in that range. So I want to complete the show with a question about really just where you see the future of vindication going. So Mark or Tom, either of you have anything big that's kind of coming out of you in the world of vindication, where you see the world of vindication going here in the near future? This may sound like the contrary argument to the one I just made. Perfect. But but here goes. (laughs) I really like reflecting on how the community responds to the last things that we've done because they inform the next thing that we will do. So before we charge forward aggressively into a next thing that we're really excited about, we like to see what the insights are from the community and the way that they're responding to things. And maybe they love something and maybe they hate something and maybe they're wishing for something. Those things can be peppered into or sprinkled onto the things that we're excited about and we'll make them better because the more eyes and hands you know, on a project, the better it is, and the more people that it can reach, and the more approachable it is for different types of people. So all of that to say, we want people to have this amazing experience with Chronicles and with Villages and you know, with these promo packs and things that we're doing. And that's going to evolve into something, and we've got a pretty good idea of what that is, but we're going to temper that with what the feedback is on those things. Okay, that makes good sense. Yeah, we're, we're very consciously not making specific plans on vindication right now for this exact reason. Like let's, 
see what everyone really connects with and what resonates before we decide which of our several, you know, we're kind of at a crossroads of things that we could pursue that we're excited to pursue. And once the community conversation starts coming back in and we get to play a final version of Chronicles, like the way will become clear. That makes sense. We also stay sharp when we navigate away from it for a while and we go work Mm -hmm. on Unsettled or we go work on some of these other things that we're working on and we leave them for a while, return to them with fresh eyes. That was very true about Vindication. Like the new content we would have made for Vindication after the Leaders and Alliances Kickstarter, if we were going to sit down right then and design an expansion, it would not have been what ended up being Chronicles. Chronicles was the result of us walking away from Vindication for 10 months and then we came back with fresh eyes and said, actually this is where this is asking to go. This is where Vindication wants to go. And so it's going to be another eight, 10 months before Vindication tells us what it wants to do next. Love the way you put that. Thank you. (laughs) If we were to expand the Vindication world right now, which is something that we talk about doing with our properties a lot, I think because of the mysterious open-ended nature of what we're trying to build with that world, it would probably, you know, more content for the main game aside, would probably be with some sort of, at least in my head right now, and Mark and I haven't talked about this exactly, other game in that world, as opposed to now we're writing a book in the world of Vindication, or now we're writing a graphic novel in the world of Vindication. You know, These would be things that, to have value, would need to tell a very specific story, and so they probably aren't in the immediate cards for this world. It's the new Netflix series. Look for it. It's coming. This is me. 2023. You know, really misdirecting (laughs) on the HBO series we have coming. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, fun to spend the whole time today talking about board game related content. I think it's been a while since we've done that and I think it was needed. So it's good to reflect on it that way. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want to show some support, you can rate, you can review, you can subscribe to the podcast. If there are people in your life who love Vindication but don't know a lot of the details and would be interested in hearing more details, this is a great episode to share with them as well. And again, we hope you have friends. If you have friends, share this with them. If you don't have friends... Bring them cheesecake. You have have us. Yeah, Yeah, and inside the cheesecake is a link to to the outpost. I've started seeing every once in a while on the Facebook groups and the the whatevers, people will say, hey, what's your favorite podcast or board tabletop podcast or creative industry podcast or whatever? And I've started seeing now the outpost show up once in a while. Mm. Someone mentions the outpost. And I kind of, you know, <laughs> happy, happy dance. Get, get a little giddy about it. Yeah. yeah so we're those, those things have a big impact. Don't underestimate your power. We have six listeners in India from last week. Ooh. Huge shout out there. I'm <laughs> aiming for Madagascar. Be honest. That's right. like so if you it. know Everyone anybody call in your friends in Madagascar. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you three so much for your time. We are grateful for everybody's presence and we accept presents Thank in the mail. Thank you for the presents. And we will talk to you soon. That's it. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Cheesecake time. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. 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 Oh. <laughs> Goodbye. You, you guys win. I'm out. Well, Tom's fine. Phone. We'll stop. This is my announcement to buy milk on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> Snooze. Is that really what it is? It just says milk.
Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. 